Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Shop local and celebrate America's independence at Airport Home Appliance with 4th of July savings of up to 40% off. Visit our website for special buys like French door refrigerators as low as $9.99 or top mount refrigerators perfect for storing extra food as low as $4.99. Let us help you save even more with free delivery, 18-month interest-free financing, and exclusive rebates not found at big box stores. Shop online, over the phone, or in-store. Airport Home Appliance. Unbeatable price, selection, and people. You're listening to Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 17, Appearing as Being, Part 2 of 2. The night air was still, save for the ghostly clanking of the boats in the harbour as they bobbed gently up and down in the ice-cold water. Up above, thick dark clouds swirled as a ceaseless barrage of snow fell steadily onto everything in sight. From opposite the harbour, the doors of the Hafnafjorda town hall swung open, rupturing for a moment the silence of the sleepy Icelandic fishing town with a blast of ecstatic rock music. Eighteen-year-old Guthmunda Einarsson and his friend stumbled out of the doorway into the snow as the door whipped shut behind them, muffling the music from inside. Laughing together, Kuthmunda took a swig from a bottle of brandy while his friend lit up a cigarette and gazed out across the harbour for a moment before the pair of them disappeared into the snow. Elsewhere in Hafnafjörde that night, just around the corner from the harbour, Ertler was returning to her flat. Since her boyfriend Saivar, who had the only key, wasn't in, Ertler made her way to the basement window, prized it open, and carefully squeezed herself into the apartment. Stumbling toward her bed, she collapsed onto it, exhausted. Sometime later, Ertler was awoken by the sound of voices in the apartment. 
Getting up to investigate, she traced them to the storage room, where she discovered Saivar, his friend Christian, and another man carrying something heavy in a fetid sheet. She watched as they placed it on the floor, and Saivar and Christian tied each end into a knot. Though she couldn't see what was in it, she had the horrible sense that it was a body. It was only then that Christian saw Erdler standing in the doorway. Angered by her presence, he ordered the others to pick up the bundle, and together they barged past Erdler and disappeared out of the apartment. Saivar returned moments later and told Erdler, under no uncertain terms, never to breathe a word of what she had just seen to anyone, and then left again. Confused and scared, Erdler went back to bed and eventually fell asleep. The next morning, she noticed a bedsheet at the bottom of the rubbish bin outside that was covered in feces. Erdler sat back and waited for a response from the three men sat opposite her. Investigating Magistrate Orn Hoskoldsen, Detective Sigurbjorn Egertsen and Detective Egart Bjarnason but it was already clear from the look on their faces that this answer had been far more satisfactory. Over the next six hours, as the detectives dug into the specifics, suggesting other possibilities to Erdler, they finally had a statement they were happy with. After thanking the young woman for contributing to justice, Hoss Goldson told her she was now free to go, vowing that she would no doubt sleep peacefully, knowing the real truth was now out. That afternoon, Erdler was released and returned home to her baby Julia, but the real nightmare had only just begun, and Erdler would not be awakening from this one any time soon. Having been placed back in solitary confinement, Erdler had laid down on the thin mattress and gazed up at the ceiling. As the light slowly ebbed away, alone in the pitch black, Erdler thought hard about that night, trying desperately to make solid any of the half-formed images that were swirling about in the foggy, stuttering zoetrope of her mind. She had read once before that trauma could affect memory. Maybe she really had suppressed what actually took place. Maybe the men really had been in her apartment, as her Skoldson suggested, And maybe it was them who put the sheet in the bin, and not her. In the end, Erdler had decided just to give them what they wanted, a plausible version of a truth, anything to see her three-month-old baby again. Later that afternoon, a bleary-eyed Saivar was dragged from his cell and taken to the corner interview room. Having been re-arrested a few days before, He'd been questioned numerous times about the post office scam, denying everything, before the officers shifted their focus onto Guthmunda Einerson's disappearance. But Saivar had been utterly bamboozled, telling them that he had absolutely nothing to do with it. Hoskoldson threw some papers towards Saivar and told him to read them. Saivar seemed confused, so Hoskoldson saved him the trouble and detailed to him exactly what Erdler had told them only hours before. Saivar was dumbstruck. It just wasn't true, he insisted. But as the officers explained just how bad this looked for him 
his own partner placing him not only at the scene of the crime, but as perhaps one of its main instigators. How did he think the courts might see it? Did he really expect them to side with the drug-dealing, feckless young man who'd spent time growing up in care? Or the young woman, whose only focus in life was to protect and look after the child that he barely even acknowledged? Not that they were in any rush to get to the bottom of it. After all, they'd already had a court order to keep him in solitary confinement for the next 40 days, and it wouldn't be difficult to ask for a few more. And soon, Saivar was beginning to question his memories of that night, too. After another six-hour interrogation, as plumes of thick cigarette smoke swirled about the room, Saivar shifted uncomfortably in his seat and began to talk. It had been late in the evening when he returned to the apartment in Hanafjuda, having just got back from a trip abroad to buy hash. He remembered his friends Christian Vedersen and Trigvi Leeson came over to see him and that the three of them had hung out for a short while. At some point, though he didn't know who invited him, Guthmunda Einarsson had joined them too. There'd been a discussion about buying alcohol and it was decided that Guthmunda should pay for it, but when he refused to, a fight broke out. The next thing they knew, Guthmunda was dead. Though it had been an accident, he, Christian and Trigvi decided in fear to dispose of the body and try their best to cover it up. Since they didn't have a car, Saivar called his friend Albert Skafterson to pick them up. When he arrived soon after, they placed the body in the boot of his car and dumped it down a crevasse somewhere in the lava field just south of Hafnafjordur. And that was everything he could remember. Later that afternoon, having returned to her mother's home, Erdler broke down in tears at the sight of her baby, taking her into her arms for the first time in over a week. At night, she will lie awake, replaying the day's earlier events over and over in her head, as strange and confused flashbacks from the night of Guthmunda's disappearance echoed throughout her mind. She'd given the detectives what they wanted, making up the first version that seemed to make sense. But now, when she thought hard about it, with so many versions of the story in her mind, she was no longer quite sure what she had made up and what she hadn't. At least, she thought, all they had was a story. Without a body or any other evidence, surely they would have no choice but to let Saivar go. For a start, with their apartment block being as small as it was, There was no way a fight could have broken out that night without the neighbours having heard it. But the police never spoke to the neighbours to find out. Instead, armed with what they believed to be two solid confessions, Orn Hoskolson's team moved fast. Within days, they had Christian, Trigvi and Albert all under arrest and placed in solitary confinement. 20-year-old Christian was brought over from another prison where he was already serving time for theft. He'd known Guthmunda back from when they were both at school together, but as he repeatedly insisted to the frustrated police officers, contrary to Erdler and Saivar's statement, he had nothing to 
do with his disappearance. After hours of interrogation, he remained resolute, eventually refusing to answer any more questions without a lawyer present. In response, Osgoldson presented Erla and Saivar's signed statements to the nation's high court and successfully argued to have Christian remanded in solitary confinement for another 90 days. Next up was 24-year-old Trigvi. Like Saivar and Christian, Trigvi had been in and out of prison for various petty crimes and was well-versed in the machinations of the law. Like Christian, he too maintained that he hadn't been at Erdner's flat on the night in question. He too was remanded in custody and placed in solitary confinement for a minimum of 90 days in the hope that he might better remember the events of that night. Albert was the last to be picked up. He was different from the others, having come from a more academic background, his father being a member of the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra. A big weed smoker, Albert had been smoking for some time when the police arrived at his apartment to arrest him. Unused to interrogation procedures, and with no lawyer present, it wasn't long before the insistent investigators began to get under his skin. As they pressed harder and harder, telling him how they knew he was involved and what he'd done that night, making it very clear how much trouble he was in and how much worse it might get should he not comply. Finally, Albert began to talk. Confirming Saivar's statement that he'd received his call late that night, he recounted how he pulled up to Saivar and Erdler's apartment in his dad's yellow Toyota and sat in the dim sodium glow of a nearby streetlight, watching through the rearview mirror as Saivar, Christian and Trigvi placed something heavy in the boot of his car. They then ordered him to drive out to the lava fields where he assumed they dumped the body. Thirty minutes later, Albert was driven out to the Reykjavik Peninsula and to the lava fields just south of Hafnafjordur in the hope that he might be able to recollect exactly where they'd stopped that night. However, after 45 minutes, Albert had seen nothing that he recognised. He was taken immediately back to Sidamuli Prison and remanded in custody for another 45 days. At night, alone in their cells, it was a constant battle to get to sleep, as each endless minute dissolved into the next, with the sound of distant waves crashing against rocks on the shoreline, their only sense of the outside world, all notions of reality, were fast becoming unstable. Perhaps they really had been there, they thought, suddenly confronted with the uncertainty of their own pasts. But no, they would keep telling themselves, they knew they hadn't done it. Angered, scared and confused, most of them would go days without any rest at all sometimes being kept up deliberately by the guards under instruction to keep them on their toes. Some nights, voices could be heard coming from the cells as the prisoners talked to themselves and all were given numerous drugs to help calm them down. As 1976 dawned, though they had some fairly incriminating statements, Ornhos Goldson's team were yet to find any concrete evidence linking any of their suspects to Guthmunda's murder, and as each suspect was confronted and reconfronted 
with each other's supposed version of events, soon the accounts of what actually took place that night began to morph and mutate. A new account by Saiva had him as an innocent bystander caught up in Christian and Trigvi's nefarious schemes, with Christian delivering the fatal blow to Gudmunda and Albert later arriving in a Volkswagen, not a Toyota. When told this new account by investigators, Christian finally appeared to crack, telling the officers he had been there after all, but in fact it was him who was the innocent bystander, too stoned out of his mind to have done anything, with Saivar and Trigvi killing Guthmunda in a vicious fight. After 22 hours of questioning, Trigvi too appeared to crack. Only in his version, it was Christian and Saivar who'd beaten Guthmunda to death, though he had no recollection of where exactly it had taken place. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Back at Earthless Mother's house, Earthler was puzzled as to why Saivar and his friends had not yet been released. A few days later, Detective Sigurbjorn Eggertsen called at the property to let her know that she had nothing more to worry about. The others had confessed to the murder. Erdler sat dumbfounded for a moment, trying to take it in. So it hadn't been a dream after all, she thought. They really had been there. But Erdler was at a loss to explain it. Over the next few weeks, Detective Eggertsen would make a number of visits to Erdler's mother's house to check up on Erdler, who, with Saivar in custody and few friends to call on, was thankful for his support. At one point, Erdler asked if Eggertsen would escort her to get some clothes from her apartment in Hanafjurda, the place having been sealed off as a crime scene ever since her arrest. Eggertsen was happy to oblige and offered to take her there himself. While she gathered what she needed, Eggertsen surprised her with an unexpected question. Had she ever heard of Geffener Einerson, he asked, the man who disappeared mysteriously back in November of the previous year. Yes, she said. Like many people, she'd watched the reports about it on the news. Then Eggertsen asked her, was there any chance that Saivar had something to do with his disappearance? Taken aback, Erdler thought for a moment, trying to remember that night that she and Saiva had heard about it on the news, 
and how blasé he'd seemed about it. The question seemed innocent enough, and Eggertson had been so kind to her that she thought it at least worth mentioning what Siver had said that night, that Geffener had obviously said something out of line and be murdered for it. Later, when Detective Eggertson dropped her back at her mother's, Ertler insisted that Siver hadn't meant anything by the comment and asked if they could keep it between the two of them as friends. The next day, there was a knock at the door. Ertler opened it to find Detective Eggertson standing there next to another man she recognised all too well, Investigative Magistrate Orn Hoskoldson. Referring to what Ertler had told Eggertson only the day before, Hoskoldson explained that he had reason to believe that she'd experienced another trauma regarding Geffener Einerson, and once again he wanted to help her to remember. For whatever reason, Orn Hoskoldson's team had come to regard Saivar as the focal point of their investigation. Head of Customs Christian Peterson, who'd long had his own suspicions about him, had also been pushing his theories about Saivar. It was his belief that Geffen Einerson's disappearance had in some way been connected to an alcohol smuggling ring that he had reason to believe Saivar might have been involved with too. Peterson had also been running checks on any individuals who'd left the country around the time of Geffener's disappearance. It just so happened that only days after Geffener was last seen at the Harbour Café in Keflavik, Saivar and Erla fled to Denmark. In late January 1976, a wholly disorientated Saivar was pulled out of solitary confinement and asked if he knew Geffener Einerson. Like everyone else, he explained, he'd heard about him on the news, but nothing more. Then Hoskoldson slipped a piece of paper in front of him. It seemed innocuous at first, a story from Erdler, recounting how her half-brother Einar had orchestrated a pyramid scheme that resulted in him and his friends receiving numerous free bottles of whiskey. To the police, however, it was a vital thread. Einar was a friend of Voldemir Olsen's, brother of Erla's friend Hulda, who was in turn a friend of Magnus Leopoldsen, the manager of Klubrin nightclub in Reykjavik, the man who some police suspected of making the call that summoned Geffen Einerson to the Harbour Café in Keflavik before he disappeared. Einar had always been suspicious and dismissive of Saivar, at one point early in his and Erdler's relationship, Einar had even convinced his father to sell his apartment in Hafnafjorda, where Erdler lived, in an attempt to disrupt the relationship. So when Herskoldson presented Saivar with this new story, he saw an opportunity to get his revenge. He had been with Geffener Einerson that night he disappeared after all, he told the police. And Einar had been there too. That afternoon, he went on to recount how, on the night of Geffener's disappearance, Ina Bollison, Magnus Leopoldson, and Voldemir Olsen had picked him up from his mother's house and taken him to Keflavik, where soon after they met up with Geffener. While Magnus and Voldemar accompanied Geffener out onto the water to retrieve a shipment of alcohol, Ina and Saivar were told to wait for them. 
After driving round Keflavik for an hour, they returned to the harbour to find only Magnus and Voldemar waiting for them, looking distressed. Geffener had somehow fallen overboard and drowned. Oskoldson ordered the officers to bring Erdler back in for questioning immediately. At first, she insisted she had no knowledge of where Saivar had apparently been that night, but slowly she began to open up to the officers, and soon the story was morphing again. Yes, Saivar had been there, she said, but so had she. In fact, it was her who'd accompanied Saivar and Magnus Leopoldson to Keflavik, not Einar and Voldemar. And Christian had been there too, waiting at the harbour when they arrived, alongside Ina and Geffener. The last thing she remembered was seeing a fight break out and running away scared to hide in a derelict building nearby. Next, Christian was pulled out of solitary and told to explain his whereabouts that night. So weary and scrambled by sleeping pills and anxiety suppressants, he was barely able to string a sentence together. However, Despite first denying any involvement, by the end of the interview, Christian had placed himself at the scene with a vague account of large boats silhouetted in a dimly lit dock and the faces of people that may or may not have been there. Irritated by his incomprehensible statement, the police sent him back to his cell to think a little harder about that night and turned their attentions to Einar, Magnus and Voldemar. Thankfully for Trigvi, he had a cast-iron alibi for the night of Geffener's disappearance, and so for the next few months was more or less forgotten about, left to stew alone in his cell, while Hoskoldson's team concentrated on the Geffener case. Sadly for them, despite the apparent witness statements from Erla, Saivar and Christian, neither Einar, Magnus or Voldemar were so easily swayed. Each denied emphatically that they'd been anywhere near Keflavik Harbour on the night in question, much less were involved in Geffener's disappearance. All had strong alibis too. Regardless, Hoskoldson's team once again convinced the courts to keep them in custody and were all duly placed in solitary confinement. Since the turn of the new year, news of the investigation had been steadily drip-fed to the media and by March, the nation was gripped. For a country not used to reading about violent crimes on its own doorstep, the fact that Guthmunder's and Geffner's disappearances might not only be the result of murder, but could also be linked, was especially thrilling. That a small group of what were effectively kids might be involved was all the more titillating. Focus inevitably turned to Erdler and Saivar's relationship, with many reporters keen to portray Saivar as Iceland's own version of Charles Manson, with Erdler, his ever-faithful disciple. In March, Orn Hoskoldson held a press conference detailing his team's latest findings. Saivar, Christian, Trigvi, Albert, Einar, Magnus, Voldemar and Erdler were all implicated in the supposed murder of either Guthmunda or Geffersen, and in some cases, both. A 
over the next few months, the police, having begun to suspect that Geffener's body had also been dumped somewhere in the lava fields, scoured every inch of the area for any sign of that or Guthmunder's body, but found nothing. Nor did they find anything in Erdler and Saivar's flat to incriminate any of the suspects. Becoming increasingly desperate, they continued to bring each of the suspects out to the apparent scene of the crime, in the hope of jogging their memory as to where the bodies were. Christian was even made to reenact a possible version of Geffener's murder, but none of it brought any real evidence to light. In May, Ertler was brought back in for questioning, and by the following day, her story had changed again. Not only had she seen Geffener killed, but it was her that had killed him, shooting him with a rifle that Syver had handed to her on the night. A few days later, with a combination of good legal representation and their solid alibis, the police were forced to let Einar, Voldemar and Magnus go. Each had been kept for 105 days in solitary confinement, with not one shred of evidence connecting them to either Guthmunder or Geffersen's disappearance. Not one of them would fully recover from the ordeal, with many, thanks to the reports in the press, continuing to suspect that perhaps they had been involved after all. Now without a driver for the narrative of how Saivar, Ertler and Christian had met Geffener at Keflavik Harbour, the police swiftly arrested Saivar's old drug smuggling companion, Gujan Skefardinson. Kept under similar circumstances to the other suspects, Gujan would too eventually confessed to assisting in the murder of Geffena Einerson. Throughout the summer of 1977, all suspects were brought before the High Court to give their testimonies regarding Guthmunder and Geffersen's apparent murders. In December, despite not having a single piece of evidence to support it, save for the various and conflicting confessions, all of which each defendant would retract at one point or another, the High Court of Iceland found Saivar, Christian, Trigvi, Gudjon, Albert and Erdler all guilty for being involved in the murder of Guthmunder Einarsson and Geffener Einarsson. Having both spent over 650 days in solitary confinement, Christian and Trigvi were sentenced to 16 and 13 years respectively. Gudjon, having eventually been kept for 412 days in solitary confinement, was sentenced to 12 years. Albert Skafterson was given only 12 months since it was decided that he'd only helped to bury Guthmunder's body. For her part, Ertler, having spent 241 days in solitary confinement, being questioned over a hundred times, was sentenced to three years for perverting the course of justice. Saivar Sizelski, the perceived ringleader of the group, would spend almost 750 days in solitary confinement and was sentenced to 17 years in prison. Having been young when they were convicted, all suspects served out their sentences and did their best to rejoin society afterwards, and all claimed that they had been completely innocent of the crimes. On his release, Saivar began a very public campaign to have their convictions quashed, claiming that they'd all been coerced, in many cases violently, into confessing. 
1997, the High Court decided against reopening the case, claiming there was no new evidence to do so. However, many, including then Prime Minister David Odson, believed grave mistakes had been made and there was good reason to believe the convictions had been unsound. In 2009, Trigvi died of cancer. He is said to have protested his innocence even on his deathbed. The case was once more in the public eye. By then, Saivar, who despite everything that had happened to him, had retained much of the charm and charisma of his younger self, had become something of a minor celebrity. However, the years of battling for justice had taken their toll. Saivar would eventually find himself homeless and heavily dependent on alcohol. In 2011, by then living in Copenhagen, he fell from a tree that he'd been camping in and died from his injuries. With his death prompting a renewed interest in the case, along with a growing body of evidence to support the reality of false confessions, the state prosecutor finally began a formal investigation into the convictions. In 2018, Saiva Sizelski, Christian Wiedersen, Trigvi Liefsen, Albert Skafterson and Gudjon Skafettensen were finally acquitted and their convictions quashed. Ertler Boladotir's conviction, however, was not reversed. Today, Ertler remains convinced of her and the other's innocence, although admits to no longer being able to distinguish her real memories from those that had inadvertently been planted by poor interrogation techniques. The whereabouts and fate of Guthmunder Einerson and Geffener Einerson remain to this day unexplained. Unexplained, the book and audiobook featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.